following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, this is the moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Super psyched. Uh, today's guest, LP, is someone who makes records that I really, really give a shit about. And uh, with his partner, Killer Mike, uh, has run The Jewels. Before that, under his own name, he's also a producer, uh, produces his records, produces the Run the Jewels, produced one of my favorite albums of all time, which is an album simply called Rap Music by Killer Mike, um, and really did a, I think in that year, you did something really remarkable, and that you made these two albums that are classics, um, yours, Cancer for Cure, and uh, Rap Music. And also, I think people might not know this, but... Uh, you really contributed to the sound of Billions. Right. In a big way, because the the first episode of the show, uh, you and I were talking about you maybe scoring the show. That's right. But you were going on the first big RTJ tour, and I remember just being like, this is never really going to be something that's possible. I mean, you know, I wanted to do it. I did, you know, because, oh, know. Of, because of you, because it just seemed really cool. Um, you'd be amazed at how many things don't happen because I'm going on an RTJ tour no. <laughs> in my life. <laughs> like, yeah, you waited a long time to have the RTJ yeah, thing, yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's understandable. But, but it's true. we did it's true. use these tracks. I mean, you introduced me to Despot's music, and right. now there's this huge Despot track in there. And then your track, $4 Vic, plays as the conclusion. It's mm-hmm. over it's this long piece of music that plays over a very long, like the last three minutes of the show. Yeah of the first episode and it really set the tone musically for the whole series so maybe we'll, we'll just play a little clip of uh, that track now and this goes out to the to the maniacs and aristocrat grifters to the zealots to the monarchs what up brainiacs compulsively acidic brainiacs repulsively predictable brainiacs to the liars for the devil's night flyers So just the taste um, for people. But uh, LP, thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. So I, there are things I, I know I want to talk about. And you've achieved a couple of the things that to me are the hardest now. One of which is you became really successful and famous late. In right, life, right, right. Which is an amazing thing that I want to get into. But <laughs> in case people who listen to this aren't familiar with your story, I want to start early if it's okay sure sure so can you just talk a little bit about like where you grew up and under what circumstances like were you middle class yeah definitely solidly <laughs> you know um what'd your parents do um, single parent uh well my father was a jazz musician right. uh by night he was a singer he was a he was a singer and a piano player 
um, played in clubs in the West Village right around here. And, um, and we lived in the West Village, um, on Perry Street until I was about six years old. And my father and my mother split up. My, my dad hightailed it to, to Key West to do a bunch of blow and, and, uh, and, you know, uh, get into car accidents and, and as musicians will, as musicians will. And, um, and then, and me and my, that's true. Me and me and my mother and my two sisters moved to Brooklyn, um, right outside of Brooklyn Heights where I went to a school called, um, St. Anne's, which is like a liberal arts school in Brooklyn. Yeah. I mean, St. Anne's is famously one of the best independent schools in the country. Really. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really good country. And there were like two types of people that went there. There were people who were like grandfathered in from great Brooklyn Heights wealth. And then there were people who just tested really well, you know, and they, they called you, you know, they were like, you're a genius, go here. And, you know, it was like, you know, I, 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 and, and didn't really have the money, but, but, but they somehow made, made us pay anyway <laughs> at a reduced rate, I think, you know? Um, but yeah, I went, I ended up, uh, we, I went there. Um, and, um, and did you generally, I mean, did you fit in with those people? Not really, man. Yeah. <laughs> I was the dude who was t- teaching. I mean, as I started to, it was weird. It was, it was really weird. I did not quite fit in. It took me until I had, I found friends, you know, and it took me until, um, probably until middle school, late middle school to find a group of kids that were really kind of like me that didn't fit into any of the sort of the old tradition of all that stuff. Um, but no, we didn't. We didn't. In fact, it was weird. It was like we were, we moved into a world that had been established well before our presence in it. You know what I mean? My family, my mother, you know, I remember being there and being like, I had never really been around that many, like there was a good amount of wealth, you know what I mean? Like rich kids, you know, but I didn't know what that was. I didn't even understand what that, that that was, what the thing, what the deal was, you know? So it was kind of like, it was like flashy wealth because St. Anne's now has changed a little bit in terms of like, I don't know if it was flashy or not. I, I, how did I mean, you feel it? Like, how did you I tell you, that's what was happening. I, I tell you, it dawned on me that we weren't in that category huh. because when we, when we went to that, when I went to that school and I started to become, trying to become friends with people from, you know, that world, um, uh, there were things that they did that were foreign to me that were, that I've tried to get in on as well that we were not allowed to get in on. Like they, they had like the racquetball club or whatever that they all went to after school, the private racket. There was like a, it was like the, you know, what, what is it called? The Heights Casino or something like that, which I think still exists to this day. And, um, back in the day, I didn't know what the hell this was, but I know that these kids would go after school and they'd go hang out and they'd play games and whatever. The, so I, I went to my mom and I was like, well, you know, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta become a part of the Heights Casino, mom. You this is what, you know, up yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, I didn't know what it meant. You know, I just figured you just do it, right? You don't have too much of a concept of, of, of you finance. Were like middle school, you, you think? No, I was like seven. Oh, okay. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Uh huh. We, and, 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 and we were not, we were rejected. <laughs> she tried. Yeah. Was she, she was like, well, I'll try. And when my mom made, my mom had a little bit of dough from when she broke up with my dad, whatever they had an apartment in the city. They sold the apartment. She was making some good money. She was working in advertising. She was a writer. Um, she wrote copy, you know, and, um, and she had a good year. So it was like, you know, to, yeah, even, sure. even probably just going to that school was a reflection of that. Right. Because, you know, and that's the, that's the sort of the, the song of the single parent and the, the single parent household. It's like people ask me where I grew up and I'm like, well, pick a, pick a spot because I mean, I was most of the time I was in Brooklyn, but it was never really one place. You kind of move around to wherever your mom 
can afford at the time. You know, we would have these meetings, these family meetings where my mother would pull me in, pull, pull the kids in and be like, she'd write numbers down, you know, like, well, here's my income now. Here's what we have to pay for your school. And here's what we have to pay for the apartment. And here's the difference. And it was a negative number. It was a, it was a, it was a minus symbol next to the, you know, the final number. And she'd be like, do you understand? And we'd be like, mm, not really. But, and she'd be like, we're moving. <laughs> it was like, yeah. It was like, all right, cool. So we didn't, we never cared. We were happy. You know what I mean? We didn't, um, did, did you think about, um, like the fact, what, like what role did like the legend or the story of your dad play for you then? Cause it's so interesting that he was a musician and your mom was a writer and yeah. you're, I mean, you do both in sure. a pretty deep way. Sure. Well, and I think that I'm really the result of that, right? I mean, to some degree, uh, I, you know, I, 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 my father was the reason why, um, we had while he was around, uh, it, and he's still alive and we're, and we're cool with each other. But, um, while he was directly in our lives and raising us, he had a piano, he had a drum set, he had a giant, crazy record collection of, you know, jazz music and all sorts of, you know, he was, he was having party. They were having parties and, 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 and getting fucked up and doing blow and, 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 and like with like Robert Crumb at our apartment, you know, it was like they were right there in the seventies in the West village, like really like kind of free spirited, kind of going for it. And, um, but, but, you know, I think that, I think that I, I can attribute the fact that at a very early age, I would sit, he would have these parties and my dad would get drunk and he'd, he'd play the piano and he'd, he'd have me sit there and play the drums while he, you know, for his, for his guests while he played the piano or, or he'd have me sit on his, you know, on the piano bench next to him and play, play bass, you know, piano for, for the thing, you know, whatever he was doing. And, um, so for me, from an early age, music, is um was presented to me as something that was tangible that you did you know it was physical um and it seems like it was also part of this unifying force yeah for sure for sure i'm just thinking of this, uh, uh, there was there was good association with it you know um and it was something i don't think a lot of kid like a lot you know a kid growing up without a musical instrument in their face in any way, which is not to say that I was particularly gifted. You know, it wasn't like, Oh my God, he's a prodigy. <laughs> like I didn't, I, you know, I tried to take piano lessons because that was what you were kind of supposed to do. Um, and I, I never really latched onto it that much. I didn't really like it. I was, you know, um, later years later, I loved it, you know, but, but you um, would keep a beat. Of course. Yeah. No, I mean, play a beat on the drums. Yeah. And, and it wasn't that I didn't like playing. I did. It was fun. I didn't like school. I didn't like, I didn't like, oh, yeah. I, you know, I didn't like sitting there and fucking learning, you know, it was, it was, you I didn't hated like learning it. the way they wanted you to yeah, learn. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't, it was like, I put it to you this way. I had like a, I had maybe like two, one, one, and I had two piano recitals in my life. The first one I played Axel F, uh, but <laughs> which is the theme song yeah, to Beverly, Beverly Hills Cop. Cop. Yeah. That was the first one because you know you're Herbie Hancock. You, yeah, uh, yeah. No, no, no. Marauder. No, Jan Hammer. Okay, was it Jan Hammer? No, no, no. Hold on. No, I'm bugging. No, no. Jan Hammer did Miami Vice. Um, no, it was Herbie Hancock. Definitely it's not did Herbie Hancock. It's What's not the Herbie Hancock track from that movie? From that movie? Oh man, I don't know. I'm bugging though because I actually had the same 12 inch right, that I, I had you. when I bought. I was as as a kid, uh, and it's not Jan Hammer. It's and we can edit this little section out. Too. Whatever. Um, but the other, you know, the other one that I played was uh, what was Madonna, like a virgin. So it, you know, the 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 state of like 
trying to play something cool when you're a kid at a piano recital, trying, you know, with, yeah. with mediocre piano skills because you weren't paying attention and you didn't care. You just want, I just wanted to sit around and play. I just wanted to sit around yeah. and, with my foot on the, on the reverb pedal, you know, of the piano and, and the sustain pedal and just play notes and fuck around. Um, I hated class. I hated doing anything like that. Yeah. I'm just thinking all of a sudden of, uh, of that, that line in, uh, in rap music, you know, this is jazz, this is soul, this sure, is roots, this is gospel, sure. this is sanctified shit, this is real Pentecostal, right? Right. right. Uh, and like the unifying thing, I, it's just not surprising to me that you two guys, I mean, that's, yeah, you know, it's, I mean, and, and for me, I mean, because you threw everything, I mean, that track in particular, you threw everything in. I threw a lot at it. I mean, <laughs> I threw a lot that at has, it. You can you know, feel kind of all the stuff you're talking about show was, up in that track. I mean, you know, to to be fair, I think that's what Mike reacted to. You know, me and me, that was a, that was a track that actually started with me and, and Wilder Zobi, and we we came up with that one together. And um, you came up with the track, the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, we me, me and me and my friend Wilder um, sat in a room and came up with the basis for that together. And um, and I think that that's what Mike responded to. The basis for that. I'm just wondering the music. The music. Did you have yeah, the, the whole thing. Did you have the title in your? No, head? no, 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 no. We did not have the title in our head for that. Um, um, and that was, that was actually called rap music, right? That was the, yeah, that's that was the it. song. We didn't have the title. I mean, Mike had the title for the album. We didn't know that this was going to be the, the, you know, the title track. Um, yeah. It ends up being the last song mm-hmm. and the, the title track of the record. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it stands out in a, as, as like there's a world of music in it. So it makes sense to me that you wrote. I don't want to talk about how you guys collaborate, but it makes sense that he heard that music. Yeah. I mean, and and which has all this stuff you're talking about in it. Right. And then wrote that lyric. Right. Which is one of, which is one of the great things about what has happened between me and Mike is that Mike really got what I was doing musically and he felt it, you know? Um, but real quick back to that whole yeah, thing. I, I mean, it. I, you know, subsequently tried a bunch of different instruments. You know, I tried saxophone. I tried trumpet. I tried, you know, um, drums a little bit, you know, but, um, really I just wanted to make beats and i didn't know how i just wanted to make rap records i mean i remember i remember sitting there with a with a saxophone and playing sax and looking in the mirror and just having this moment of just like no you have to stop this now like just put it down man really? <laughs> like, yeah at like 12 yeah yeah well that's what i was gonna say so if you did did you, you said that uh i want to get to this moment when you started realizing that you were different in a way from the arts but did you said you started to make friends around middle school. Did yeah, teachers yeah, yeah. get you? Did people know you were? So you said, "Oh, some people got in because they were recognized as being a genius." Or I was a kid right? teaching. I was a kid teaching kids how to steal Playboys from the from the bookstore. Right. That was my that was my role. That was when I first started to make friends but, and enemies. Did you know you were smart though in a different way? Did the teachers act like you were a degenerate, or did they no. act like you were a smart degenerate throwing his life away? Like how was it presented to you? That was later. The smart degenerate throwing his life away came later. You know what I mean? Right. That was, that I mean, was a right of passage. For yeah. Our- it took a while <laughs> for them to come to that conclusion. You know, um, it was, I was, it was, I was just, a, I was just a bright kid, you know? Um, and did you do the schoolwork then? At that point, was there really schoolwork? Sure. I guess I probably did whatever was, you know, it wasn't until so I, you weren't rebellious. It was not until probably I was in, in like, it probably took till about seventh grade for my claws to come out. You know what I mean? And, and that's when I started really love embracing the city. And, and, and that's when I had started to collect a group of friends who were a little disenfranchised as well, who didn't, you know, who, who didn't come from that world. And we, we all kind of connected and, um, and we started running around the city and, you know, 
drinking, smoking weed and, and listening to music and skateboarding and, and, um, what were you like listening to? What movies were you watching and what were you reading? Cause you um, must have been reading even because your work has allusions to all sorts of stuff. Sure. So yeah, what were you into? Um, then? you know, at, over the years, I mean, I've, 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 but in the minute, yeah. At that time, As you're forming this shit, shit in your head. I don't know. You know, I mean, I was reading a lot of underground comics. I was reading like a lot of Robert Crumb and Von Day, and I was reading, um, you know, Cerebus the Aardvark and all this weird shit that you could find that didn't fit into the, um, the, the sort of the world of, of, of like Marvel and DC and all this stuff. We discovered this other world that was really interesting to us of all these sort of dangerous and strange art, you know, um, artists, Fat Freddy's cat and all that. And, and um, and, um, the original, like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But then I was also, but, but, but I was reading, you know, um, I mean, as a kid, I read, I read, I read 1984 when I was in, like, seventh grade. Right. Well, you know, for the up. first time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And just kept getting pulled back into that one, you know, but I was, I was reading everything that was good. You know, one thing I will say for the school is that, the, you know, as, as for, for a kid like me, for a dude who was, probably naturally pretty bright and, and, and had a way with, uh, sort of all things lingual, um, naturally that to the point where I could excel at it because it didn't really require me doing anything. You know, I was just like, well, I can just sort of talk and, and I can get this instinctually. Um, and you know, w- uh, that school was, was great for, for literature and for, you know, I read, you know, ravenously everything that they handed us. Um, there was, it wasn't, it wasn't a public school in the sense that, and it, it wasn't a public school. It, the best part of that type of school, the best thing about that type of school was that they had, um, some sort of direction or, or, or idea, um, uh, that, uh, of what they, you should be feeding kids in their heads. And, and that was different. Yeah. Than, I went to a similar a, kind know. of place that, that got me. And I was also, I had bad ADD. So, Mm. I had difficult time studying what they wanted me to study. Oh, man, I remember but, how sad they were when they realized that I didn't have ADD. That's hilarious. I never forget that. Well, yeah. See, when I, I'm 10 years older than you or 11 mm. years older than you, so they, it wasn't even – they didn't know, right? Nobody knew until right. much later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I could do that hyper-focus thing of finding books and reading them. But I remember I read Basketball Diaries in eighth or ninth grade mm. and gave it to a teacher. And I was like, this is the thing, mm. you know, life-changing. And that started him then trading books with me on stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was great. Mm-hmm. Because then it encouraged, it encouraged. I could see. Yeah, throughout school, and I, as I was, as it, as it emerged that I was clearly fucking up, as it emerged that I was clearly on my own shit. There were teachers to sort of answer a question. There, there, there were teachers who very specifically took an interest in me and pulled me aside and had and like got involved after school on some like come hang let's read like i want to get into your head because that's cool there were a few people that did recognize that there was something going on here and i guess um you know by the time i got to by the time i got to you know like i said middle school i mean we discovered the joys of cutting school you know it was sure so when you were running out to the city you were going to, you were going to for, sneaking into 42nd Street places? I mean, we go to 42nd, but you know, we go, we go right around here. We go to the handball courts on Leroy. I know those handball we courts. We go to the handball courts on Leroy right over here. We go, we go throughout Brooklyn. We'd skate around. We, you know, we go to the, we go to the East Village because at the time you were tough if you could go to the East Village and everything was cool. A lot of people can't comprehend that now. Like but, what year do you think this but was? But the LES was like, like oh, this is in the eighties. I mean, this is like, uh, late, late eighties. I mean, we, we yeah, were, we were at Tompkins Square to the, Park. I moved to Fourth Avenue in 88. Right. And then if you would just go, so Fourth Avenue had just become okay. Right. 
but I would, if you would walk a few blocks east, yeah, yeah, you were yeah. in it. Like you yeah. definitely were in a different world. Yeah. So you were coming to the city then. And what were you listening to? Um, I was listening to rap. I was listening to Run DMC. From the beginning. From the beginning, I was listening to rap, but I was also listening to Prince. I was listening to Devo. I was listening to The Police. I was listening to Art of Noise. I was listening to The Clash. I was listening to, um, um, Michael Jackson and, you know, but I was listening to, you know, the Fat Boys, Cool Modi, uh, Run DMC. I was listening. Finally, when you started to get, were you into, listening to BDP? Were they, oh did my they God, matter? BDP, did com- they matter at that time? When BDP came out, that's when it changed. You know, they, that's yes, what I want to know. Yes, I don't know. Absolutely. This, so tell me. 100%. Yeah. All of that. Like, you know, I mean, I, I was listening to, I was hooked on rap music very young. And so I was there for all of those things to emerge. You know what I mean? Like, you know, be it Big Daddy Kane or BDP or Public Enemy or every, you know, the whole Def Jam roster, all of that was brand new to everyone. I was there on day one buying those records. And, um, <clears throat> yeah. And, and it, it, it definitely, um, was just, it was just because I liked the sound. I just loved it. It just made sense for me. You know, it was New York. And, and um, I hadn't really made the BDP connection to RTJ before, but there is one. Oh, in a I mean, anything I do, there's a BDP connection. But I, I mean, DJ Scott LaRock, and when you think about, in a way, you know, but, I mean, to, you could see Mike uh, rapping, you know, by all means necessary times out of the hypocrisy. Mm-hmm, like you could hear mm-hmm. him doing that early, before Karis One became a, a different thing, but when they were together, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, they, they were for me also as 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 a, as a rapper, but as a producer, you know, um, those records that, that actually like um, said G had a big hand in producing from Ultramagnetic MCs, you know, the the Criminal Mind of the first record, and uh, and then uh, and then you know my philosophy, and um, you know those those were some of the most formative musical moments for me, the, the ones that actually are kind of the basis for my production style, along with a bunch of other ones. Um, but just the drums, the sparse sample drums, the hard, the, the, you know, the stabs, the hard hitting, you know, and I'd never had anybody talk to me like that. When you were listening to KRS one, when you're listening to him talk to you, I'd never had heard anybody talk to me. It felt like this dude was talking directly to me. It was so conversational and it was so, um, logical. Even if you didn't really know the world that he was talking about, you, you could really understand what the, that fuck was he- like my introduction to real hip. So like I loved run DMC yeah, yeah, and I, yeah. but I was into metal. I was into all right, right, other right. music. Right. And I remember when that record came out, a buddy at college, this kid named Mike, who was friend, John Schechter's best friend who started the source at the yeah, time yeah. played me that record. And I felt the same. And I came from such a different direction, but right, I, right, right. I was like, that's the real thing. It, it, I didn't know what the fuck it, like, it was like the thing. real thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, so you're running around then. And did you start thinking to yourself at all that this is something you're interested in? Does it make sense? Did you start rapping? Yeah, I started rapping. I definitely started rapping just for fun. I mean, it was, it was just mostly me. It started really young. I mean, I started rapping when I was 10 and, um, and, well, and my, I wrote my first rap when I was 10. But before that, I was already rapping just as a fan. I was just standing in front of the mirror rapping, uh, run DMC records and putting my name in everyone, you know. Sure. Uh, you know, and, uh, cause my, 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 my family called me Jay. So every time it was like, Jay, Master Jay, you know, like I, I was like, I'm Jay. I could be, I could be in run DMC. That's what I always loved about run DMC. You, you, they were not these, um, they weren't Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. They weren't like, who is this crazy space funk group that I'm looking at this picture of when you saw run DMC, they were, 
they were they were superheroes for New York. Like Spider Man was a superhero, like a regular New Yorker. You know, like oh, they would man. make it a point to talk about Hollis. I mean, they would make it a point no to talk doubt. about who they were. But they were also dressed for the first time that anyone had ever seen a a, a rapper really truly dressing like regular people. Like for them to be as huge as they were before that, the stars of rap music were dressed like funk bands, uh, essentially. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, like Parliament Run Funkadelic DMC, with the you, outfits. Yeah, yeah. Run DMC, you, you almost felt like you could be in Run DMC if you just got like a, a pair Red of Levi's. <laughs> in the Kangol. Yeah, just like a jacket and a pair, and a pair of Levi's and, and a black shirt, you know? To this day, that's what we base Run, Run the Jewels on. We base Run the Jewels on, 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 on Run DMC for sure. And, um, which is side note, I actually just spoke to DMC for the first time in my life a couple of weeks ago. Was it heavy? Oh, it was incredible. Yeah. Have, have you, and this is totally off the subject, but have you heard his moth, his moth story no. about him and Sarah McLaughlin? <laughs> the story, I'm just, this is a public service announcement to you and every, if you haven't, you're going to cry. You're about to cry. When you, like, when you leave here, go find, if he matters to you, if their thing mattered to you. <laughs> he matters. He told, you know what the moth is, that storytelling? There's this thing called the moth where people tell stories, long stories extemporaneously. He tells a long story All right. about, you know it? about I know about the- The moth. Yeah. He tells this long story about how Sarah McLaughlin, for real, saved his life. She saved his life. And it's, uh, it's, you will freak all right, out. All right. And you will play, you will freak out. But I yeah, at that time, it, like I said, we were rolling, we were rolling around. I mean, New York City was, was our, we, we had figured out that we could ditch school and it didn't really matter. And, and because as long as we, you know, did a few things and then it, then it didn't really matter. So, and we were going to play, you know, we were going to places like Tompkins Square Park to hang out and see if we can maybe smoke weed, but you know, Washington Square Park. The time Tompkins Square Park was not the nice little, beautiful little park that it is now, right? It was a, it was a, um, it was a shanty town for, for drug addicts and homeless people and anarchists. And at the time we used to hang out at, um, a few times here and there at this place called the anarchist switchboard, which was in, which was in LES where it was a, it was a squat that, uh, um, uh, there, there were a bunch of squats and then there was the anarchist switchboard, which was underneath, um, which was in the basement, you know, they'd have these meetings. And, um, one time I actually, one time my friend John, who ultimately at the end, um, was in the Tompkins Square riots, who at 16, um, is this, yeah, 16 put a quarter stick of dynamite under a, a, a cop car and was arrested, but got out because he was 16. Now, I don't think that would happen now. He'd probably be, you know, they'd probably, he'd probably be shot on national television. Isn't that what we're doing at this point? Or are we not there yet? Is it not almost. 2018? I mean, yeah. Almost. Yeah. Um, but that was like, you know, um, yeah, one time John went down to the, uh, anarchist switchboard. He must have been 15 or 14 or something. Cherubic little kid, New Yorker. And, uh, everyone was, uh, you know, every, everyone was on the, on the sidewalk and, uh, and they were all kind of giggling to themselves and he was stoned and he, he had just started smoking weed and he was kind of like, what's going on guys? And they were all sort of giggling and didn't really say anything. John went downstairs. And there was a circle of just, cha- you know, chair, men in chairs, sort of, sort of 40 to 50 year old, f- like f- most of them were kind of fat and like, like sort of weird men in chairs. 
cherubic, blonde haired, rosy cheek. Yeah. Yeah. Kid, you know, beautiful child, you know, just what, and just glowing little kid of innocence, you know, of, of, of innocence that he was, you know, trying his best to, to, to wash innocence off of him, but it was impossible. He was innocent. And he walked down into the room and, and he just got accosted by this overwhelming. So they all looked up at him. He got such a bad energy off of the room that he, he looked around and he just ran up back up and he, and he walked out and now everyone is outside and now everyone's laughing, outwardly laughing. And he's like, what the fuck was that? Who the fuck are those people? And, um, and they go, that's Nambla. No, is that true? Yeah. That's dark. That's dark. That's a dark moment. Yeah. That wouldn't happen now. That kind of like, uh, meeting where people outside would just be telling you. No, no, no. This was, but this was, you know, <laughs> exactly. But this was maybe a testament to the times in which, in which, it, you know, you had anarchists and it was fringe. It was all fringe shit. Some of it really fucking dark. Obviously that wasn't what me and my friend, you know, who could, you know, me and my friends were clearly not in Nambla, but, uh, but the point being is that it was a little wild west in the, in that time in the lower east side. It was crazy shit going on and including the riots, the Tompkins square riots. And you were around it, but the, the way you're telling it is all as you often filter this stuff is funny. But, you know, your music, even from the beginning, had a lot of rage in it. Mm. And so did – at the time, was that in effect or or had it not yet sort of hit you? Like when you were first – when you were started to look at the world at that time, I mean this was uh, Reagan's America and then George – the first George Bush's America. And, you know, you were a white kid listening to hip-hop. Which, although a lot of white kids started to, there weren't that many white kids listening to hip hop. I mean, it was pretty common for, 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 for your neighborhood. For, I mean, for my age group, I think it was start. Maybe we would have like one of the first generations of, of, of white kids. Who right. Really around the blue. third run DMC album, though, is when that happened. But you were into it. I was from in the it first. from the jump. Yeah. I, you were in it from I, the I was definitely album. in it from the jump abnormally, probably. Yeah. And, and, um, um, and the rage, you know, the rage was coming. <laughs> I, yeah. I think that it was, it, it, you know, it, it was, it was, it was hard for me to articulate it. And I think that I was still going through a lot of the shit that would ultimately sort of get me into that headspace. You know, um, there was a lot of weird shit going on. My mother was, um, my mother was pretty lost. You know, she, she, she was struggling and, um, you know, she, uh, years later, of course, she's, she's sober now. You but know. you were aware of it. You were aware um, she was I, struggling. I, 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 I wasn't aware of it? it just ostensibly. I mean, like, you know, she did shit <laughs> that in reflection, upon reflection, yes. you know, in hindsight, yes. with a little bit more information at my disposal, I now realize was a direct result of this ongoing struggle that she had with alcohols. My mother is a, you know, 10th generation New Yorker. Her mother killed herself in a hotel room with a bottle. You know what I mean? Um, and, uh, the, the dog jumped off the, the, the balcony, you know, the hotel balcony. Uh, I had a song actually that I that called fluffy jumped that I never actually recorded, but I wrote, uh, about the dog, you know, about, uh, from the perspective of the dog watching my, my grandmother, who I never met drinking her, herself to death in the, uh, in the, uh, the top of some hotel. So your um, mother was wrestling with that stuff. My mother wrestled with it. And I think that it, 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 you know, and she went through a bunch of in the, in the early eighties, she went through a bunch of like cultish sort of uh, organizations. You know, she tried to, she, like a lot of people were like Est and things like that. And, you know, I don't know if, uh, you know, 
you probably know what I'm talking about when I say S. And there were other ones that were sort of in a similar. They were basically Ponzi schemes built uh, that that were built around. I had a friend get deep into that other one, the one that came right after in Boston, and it, he. Uh, I'm just forgetting the name of it now, but yeah, I know what those things yeah. were. They this um they were sort of empowerment self-help ponzi schemes in a sense you know really what they were doing they were preying on they you know they were sort of preying on 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 fragile people with uh very very blunt instruments of psychological you know uh examination manipulation and really the whole point was to get you in there and get you to get someone else in there to get you to proselytize and get the next person the next person correct i ended up going in like a pyramid scheme even more than a ponzi but yeah 100 percent. in fact a literal pyramid scheme in the sense that my mother also was running pyramid schemes (laughs) she was doing this thing called the airplane game at one point you know which was very which was very popular for a while this is this is not the these are not the the uh the choices of a, of a of a sober person necessarily but you know where where you literally set up chairs in the living room i mean we come home we always had we always had a, throughout throughout the years we always had a lot of borders you know my mother was always building another room right you know I mean? really oh always yeah taking in oh people. yeah 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 she she got this she she had this loft uh, that she had gotten that was just this empty space in Tribeca before Tribeca was anything when it was nothing you know when when nobody would ever even really live in Tribeca um and uh this is at the edge of Tribeca basically Murray Street we um she got this place as an investment i guess it was really it was it was super cheap i think she didn't even own it i think that she just had a long term lease and so she just built I mean, at one point, I remember we, we had to move back in there and, and, and we were living there for about three or four years. And, and, um, there were about 14 bedrooms in the, in this, in this place. And she was just renting them out to, you know, constant strangers, but she would also do things like she'd have these games, these quote unquote games, you know, where, which were very popular in the eighties where people would come in and they play something called the airplane game. You set up a bunch of seats in a pyramid and. People would buy into the next row. And the whole thing is that you had to keep buying and you had to keep buying and you had to keep filling the last row. And, and it, it, you know, whoever ends, you know, and there's a loser at the end. Yeah, sure. But, um, but if you're, you know, so just all this bullshit, but she was in, she was in, um, she was in deep, you know, she was having problems for a long time and I didn't really comprehend it, but I knew that she was in trouble. Um, and cause when you're, when you're, um, when you're a single, when you have a single parent, I think that very quickly you, you start assuming the, the role of the, of, of the, the parent pretty, pretty quickly, even though you're not capable of Were it. Were you the oldest? No, I was not technically the oldest. I but had, a, you, I have a, my oldest sister who's nine years older than me, but she wasn't around because she was you, nine so years it was older. You, so it was you. Yeah, I was oldest in, 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 for a long time because my sister was, she was out of here. She was in college. She was, uh, right. she was doing whatever she was doing. Um, and she's actually my father's and my mother's daughter, but she, she's not my full blood, although I was raised with her. We consider her a sister, of course, but she had a whole other story. So you were the oldest, you're saying you were the oldest. I was the oldest. You were the oldest, like, um, uh, putatively the oldest. You were basically, you were, you might as well have been the oldest. Correct. Correct. And so a lot of the shit came down on me. Yeah. And a lot lot of the responsibility and also just the cognizance of, of what, of what was wrong. You know, um, even if it wasn't completely accurate, you know, because I was older, I, I was, I understood that, my, that, you know, that there was something deeply going wrong here. And, right. And, so this and, is, you think the first, this is what I was trying to ask is where this sort of I think anger came. of the point of view, you know, this, this rage that courses through not just your raps, but your music too, this mm. sense of 
you know, in your music, things collide and things feel like they can almost mm. fall apart mm. and they drive forward. And then the stuff that you talk about, not in Run the Jewels as much, but sure. in a different way. I tempered, uh, yeah, it's, it's a different approach with Run the Jewels, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, f- I, I think that that's part of it. I think that part of it is just simply just the way I grew up. I mean, I was, I, I, I was, I was offended by the, the the arrogance of of of, of power uh, from a very and that's early what I want. So you noticed that? Like when did you 100%. start noticing that? I mean, I I was I I was I was talking shit from a young age, <laughs> but I was getting in, I was getting into shit from a young age intellectually. You know, right. so I was the idea that just because someone was in a position of authority, um, if they didn't earn it in your mind through the way that they would reason, express stuff to you then you didn't just value them based on their hierarchical well, yeah. position. You know how you, you know how if you ask a kid, if, if, if a kid says, you know, why is the sky blue? And you say, well, because of the oxygen and the way the light, and go, why? Why does the light, why does the light, do? well, it's sort of because of it. And they go, well, why? And, you know, event, and, and that's the innocent sort of never ending, right? Cycle of conversation with, with a child of a certain age. And eventually it turns into fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> why are you doing this? Why, 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 why are you in this position? Well, because uh, fuck you. That's my answer, actually. Never mind. You just got there quickly. I got there pretty quickly. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, whatever it was. I mean, I, like, again, you know, you could go back to feeling displaced in the school that I was in. You could go back to the fact that I was, that I was, um, in a single parent household and, we, and, and, and it was really tough watching my mom struggle. You know, she, she, she was buckling under it. Um, you could go back to whatever. Maybe if, if, if I were to be on, on the cap, you know, on the couch, maybe someone would say it was about my father abandoning sure, me. I don't know. Stuff. Or yeah, maybe yeah, it yeah. was about the fact that my father is the, the, you know, had failed, you know, me as a God, you know? Yeah. Um, who knows? Um, all I can say is that it, you know, um, it was there. I think that my mother actually encouraged it. You know, my mother was, my mother was, a, is a very smart woman. And, and, and she, um, she was working in advertising. She would actually sit us down and show us the tricks that they were employing. Oh, that's great. Like all um, those eighties and, uh, tricks and the ice would look like a certain way. All of it. That would convey um, sex. See or- how they're, well, or you see how they're writing this word down on a yellow piece of, uh, on a yellow piece of paper and then tearing the piece of paper away. Well, yellow is a color that actually, uh, uh, triggers memory and, uh, writing a, a word down, it, you know, creates a neural pathway so that the brain sees the word and remembers the word. If you just say the word out loud, it's not the same as seeing the word created. Um, all of this shit that she, she would point out to us constantly and she hated advertising. She fucking hated it for her. It was a family business. You know, when you, she was a writer, when you get out of college and you, you need a job as a writer, you know, you do. Uh, you do that because that's available to you, you know? Um, and she had ins, you know, she, her father was in advertising. Her brothers were in advertising and all that. Shit. And so she would tell you that sh- you knew she felt like it was selling out on some level. Well, I knew that she found it ridiculous. Right. And that was clear to me. We, we spoke about, and, and, and once you, once you have like a, an allu- like a grand illusion start crumbling beneath you, you know, like that get intellectually taken apart by someone that you trust. Once it becomes a, a cruel joke, a sick joke that you're laughing about, it can change the way you think about things because you can apply that same illusion to the rest of the world. And this is not a gift sometimes, you know, I know, I mean, it's, 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 uh, well, it's the red pill, blue pill. 
It is. And, and, and the, and I had a very clear in my teenage years, I had a very clear awakening and, and it was all leading up to it, but I felt almost like I was losing my mind at a certain point. This is right around 17, 18 years old. And right when I started really, really going for it and doing company flow and, um, and I had kind of had like, a, I felt a physical curtain almost be pulled from in front of my eyes. I had a, I had a, a, a psych, psychotic, physiological, some sort of experience, you know, that I would only read about later when like through like, like a Philip K. Dickian experience almost, you know, in the sense of having, um, this, tr this, this, Almost like an ecclesiastical, not the mm. religious sense, but an awakening. Like that, Correct. Where suddenly you saw things. Correct. Was it William James who had those things? Like where I'm not, the, I'm not the, familiar. Yeah, no, it's fine. But where, where you suddenly understood. Suddenly understood something. and couldn't under, unsee something and felt like I was all of a sudden on the trail of some gigantic truth that <clears> – <throat> was fucking up every 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 everything that i had just it was just it was it had occupied my mind like a virus you know um it had taken over and it had taken me over so much to the point where i where where i i felt disconnected from from the the rest of the world i felt i felt like did you feel crazy i felt or mad you... i felt maddened yeah i felt like i was going crazy right and, and yeah, schizophrenics sometimes feel like they can sure. just see the world and no one else can also brilliant artists and the the that line of, of like sort of uh delusion mm. versus artistic breakthroughs right is, i would say it is it's, super it, thin it is it is and i think that i think that um you know it's all about the makeup of your of your brain probably you know what i mean like i've smoked dust and i've seen people smoke dust and they've never come back you know i smoked dust and been like that was weird and then just walked away fine you know i have a strong you know i have an ability to be able to 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 you know to to take that type of um you know psychological and esoteric beating and walk away from it uh, uh, you know uh, alive again and and, and normal but to don't, a degree. don't smoke any more dust no i don't smoke any more dust <laughs> Because, you know, there is a, a number of times from which nobody walks away. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not here to test that limit. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to. We need know. the work. No. But when, so that happens. You're 17. You start really like noticing the world. Well, it was, it was all, there was a bunch of shit happening. One of the things that happened was I had been kicked out of school and I didn't have. And, and How'd so that happen? That happened because, um, I got into a confrontation with the, with, with, with the principal of my school. Who, you were like 16? Six, 16, 15, something like that. Yeah. And, um, about 15. And, um, this, this, the, I had gotten kicked out of another school. Um, uh, that I just went to briefly, but this is the real, the real story. That was just cause I didn't do anything. The real story was this because I had come back to this school real quick and I was like, look, uh, can I come back? <laughs> you know, and they were like, uh, eh, you know, all right. You know, like we're watching you though. And I was not, I felt very disconnected, whatever, from everything that was going on. And I was already fully on my rap shit. I was fully, I had a, I was making demos. I was, you know, by 15, I was already like, I had many songs, you know, um, I was, I was, I had a little bit of a, a equipment set up. Um, incidentally, not to backtrack too much, but the reason, the, the way that I got started producing rap music was that I used to take a dual cassette deck 
and make pause tapes, which is, you've heard the story from, I'm sure a bunch of people. I'm not the only one who started this way, but we used to make pause tapes because we wanted to be able to rap over these beats and we didn't have any equipment or anything. And there was, we had no idea how to do it. But if you, if you had a pause, if you had a dual cassette deck that could, that could pause and record, if you got the timing right, you could loop up a beat almost perpetually. And then you could, my, mine had a little external microphone in the thing. So I could then loop up the beat on the one cassette and then, play that onto a blank cassette on the left deck and, and rap into the, into the external microphone. So point being, I was already fucking around. I was already trying to, I was already getting good at whatever was at my disposal. Like I got really good at that to the point where people would give me tapes and be like, can you remix this for me? Cause they knew that at I was 15, 16, 14. Earlier than right. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Earlier than that. And, um, at 13, 12, you know, and, uh, so at the time, yeah, this whole thing coincided with this whole sort of like psychological <laughs> break slash you awakening. School, so you come back to the school. You were already come back to the school. I got kicked out. So, so the way that how did I get kicked out? I'm, um, uh, it's pretty stupid. Um, I was I was sitting on the steps listening to my Walkman uh, with my with my hat on backwards and and uh, which I would do, you know, instead of talking to anybody, I would just be listening to whatever and maybe writing some shit and. And, uh, and I guess the principal came up to me and snatched my hat off and, and, and took it in her office and, oh, snatched my hat. Oh no, it was a shit. Snatched my hat off and, 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 and I was like, what are you doing? And she was like, uh, she was like, uh, take your headphones off or something like that. And she was like, she was, like, oh, she was like, right. It's a, and I don't know if I'm getting the quote perfect, but, but basically she said, you look like one of those. You look like one of those, and then she made like a beatbox noise. She was like, "You look like one of those, uh, you know, stupid rappers or something like that." And 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 so, and then she walked away and took the hat, right? And you know, and I was, I was, I was, I was pissed. <laughs> I did not, I did not take kindly to that, to that, to that exchange. I, I, I went outside, smoked a cigarette as one does when they're fifteen. Sure. Um, and um, and uh. I remember I saw a teacher out there, this dude, actually, one of the only teachers that I actually remember his name, Mr. Everdale. He was a, he was a very smart man. He was a history teacher. Cool motherfucker. I think that he actually saw something in me as well. You know, one of the few that, that saw that there was a spark. Yeah. And, um, and I asked him, I said, I just ran the scenario by him. I didn't name names, but I said, how, how, is that right? You know? And, uh, and he said, no, that's not right. And I said, that's what I thought. And I, and I, and I went in and I kicked open the door. I think I kicked open the door, if I'm not mistaken. The principal's and, door. Yeah. Awesome. And I walked in, and she was on the phone, and I and I and I and I snatched my hat off her desk, and I just said, "That's it. You signed your own exit." And I said, I yeah. mean, she didn't kick you out. Nah. You, you. And made. I said, and I said, you're not allowed to take this. Wow. And I walked out, and that, you know, it was it was just me not really trying to hear it. Did, uh, did you want the line between what was appropriate and what was and what was right was very was didn't I, I, exist. So I understand that. I mean, I I haven't never told the story, but I mean, I got thrown out. I talked my way back in, but I got thrown out in twelfth grade for a short time. Sometime I'll tell it. Um, it's not my episode though; it's yours. But and for for a similar thing to a person in a similar position, but um. Did how did you know that you weren't crazy or a loser? Mm. And did you? Because I'll tell you, I mm. I somehow knew because I had parents who like were really good to me, 
Mm-hmm. So like when I would get, I had the most attentions of anybody in the history of my school in second <laughs> grade. I also never talked about that in here, but like I knew it was their problem, not mine at a certain, in right, a certain right, way. Right. Did right. you know that you were not headed for the streets somehow? Yeah, I did. I did. There was never a fucking question in my head that I wasn't going to do what I wanted to do. And everything was a fucking time suck. Everything that, about everything that wasn't about that was a complete waste of my time, including that wasn't about becoming including your fucking power over me, including this this relationship, including this fucking time that in fact I'm not even gonna come. I'm actually gonna at a certain point was just was like, you know what? I'm I'm out of here. And um and so, but 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 at the time getting pulled out of that and having that my mother was the best. She was great, you know. She she could have flipped that, she could have forced me to try again, you know what I mean? She could have like she was uh, but she said, what the fuck do you want to do? She, she literally was just like, you, you have to, either you're going to become the type of person who can be in school and deal with this type of thing, or you're going to do some other type of school. You're not going to fucking do nothing for sure. Right. And I was like, all right. And she was like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to, you know, I want to be a rapper, <laughs> which is what, which is what every white mom is, is secretly hoping that their child says to them. Um, I was like, I want to be a rapper. I want to be a musician. I want to produce. Did doing it the first? So I, I wrote this down to ask you this, but what, do you remember the first time that, and it could be in front of people or by yourself with a mic, but do you remember like the first time you had the spark of, oh shit, this is who I am. Like, this is what I'm meant to be. Like that feeling of coming alive somehow. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I feel like right around freshman year of high school, right around freshman year of high school, I actually had like a, I actually started recording some, I mean, and you realized you had a flow. Like, I was doing that beforehand. You- I was doing that beforehand a little bit, but around freshman year, I started actually meeting other kids that were into it too. And I, and I started feeling like, Oh shit, I'm not completely alone. And, and, um, and I started getting a little bit better. I started enjoying what I was doing, you know, uh, making, I started liking the sound of it. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I really, I really felt like this. Is, I did. I did. I felt like this is, I can do this. I, you know, I felt like, okay, this is achievable. Cause I had seen myself. I was aware that I wasn't that good yet, you know? Yes. That's fast. So you knew there was a gulf between where you were and where you wanted and to where go. I wanted to be, but yeah. you knew it was crossable. I knew it was crossable. Yeah. Cause I had seen incremental like improvement, you know, in yourself, uh, in myself. Yeah. And did you note when, how people would react around you? Like, Oh, I think this is better or good and like someone would give you feedback. Well, I think that everything that I did probably fit squarely into the category of bad. So, you know, I, mean? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think there was ever too much encouragement from people around me because first of all, it was just unheard of. No one even knew what the hell I was doing. And I kind of kept it to myself. I mean, it was for the most part, just my thing that I was doing in my own time. Um, but I was obsessed with it. And, um, so, but I'm sure that it, it all sucked until a certain point. I don't think I really got good at what I was doing probably until I was or hit on something that like made sense where like, oh, I could present this to more than just a friend or, you know, until I was in my, you know, teen, until I was probably around the first record I put out was when I was 17. It was called Juvenile Techniques. It was under the name Company Flow. And I just turn 18 maybe when that record and you put it out yourself um i put it out with this independent record label that called libra records and i met those guys through this school that i went to my got kicked out i I went to this musical engineering school i said i I, like i said i said to my mother i want to be a rapper i want to be a producer so you learned to be an engineer she said okay go to this engineering school 
And there was this musical engineering school. Like five so, towns or a different went, one? No, nah, it was one? called Center for the Media Arts. It was in Manhattan. It was right across from FIT. It doesn't exist anymore. At the time, there were a couple of them. There was like AIR and uh, Institute of Audio Research and Center for the Media Arts right across from uh, FIT. Um, I lied about my age to get in and uh, I wasn't old enough to get in. And I and I took the GED. First, that first it was like, okay, asshole, go get your GED. So you, you know, did. I did. Yeah. I, you know, I, I scored in the like the top 0.1 percentile of the fucking universe or something. And then, and, 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 and just, just and, and showed that my mother and showed, you know, like, look, if I wanted to, I could go to college, you know? And, uh, and then, um, but, and then I met people through, through that, the, through that school. I ended up, uh, you know, making me, your first record. Yeah. Making, it was all tied in Lo- like the school, you know, all that get like the loosening from, Loosening from the sort of the, the, the structure and the scaffolding that keeps like a reality projected reality up around you. The thing that we're taught is, um, the path, you know, but it, it, this, this path that's supposedly laid out for us, but really we have to fight really hard to construct it. You know, this, this, this railway that is, is, is really just as these invisible lines that you're supposed to lay your tracks down on. Um, and, uh, once I started to loose from that, um, and, you know, it's everything started to sort of, you know, convalesce all of all of my experience and all of the shit in my head and everything that was going on started to convalesce into this into this really unstable, really disconnected um, from what I thought reality was, uh, you know, this this unveiling of, of what felt like a rush of truth. You know, um, I started to see things differently. I started to read things that had, were, were were lending its lending, you know, real form to, to some of the things that I've been feeling for a long time. You know, um, I remember specifically, uh, you know, everyone knows this about me, but specifically Philip K. Dick was a big influence for me. The idea of, um, the idea of time having never it being a, being a false construct, the idea of seeing the, 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 the enslaving iron of ancient Rome, you know, trans, you know, superimposed over the city. I, I, I saw that I was having a, <laughs> I was having a psychological break, I think. I, I, I really do. But I, but, but I think the difference being is that I actually had music to channel it into. I actually had, I was, I was writing, you know? I, th- I think that a lot of people probably feel this, this moment in their lives where they, where they face the crossroads. Am I going to accept reality as it is being projected upon me? Am I going to say yes to the request from the world to accept reality that doesn't feel right? That doesn't feel like my reality. It doesn't feel like my reality or even doesn't even really feel like our reality. You know, did anyone around you tell you you were right to be on this path? Because a lot of artists listen to this or people who want to do this stuff and everyone always wants to know, am I nuts or do I have the do I really have the ability to be honest with you, man? I never asked. Right. That's a great answer. Yeah. You just went. Yeah. I mean, like, think about it. I, I was already yeah. out of school by 15. Like I was deep in already, man. I like, like I was psyched to be doing it, but I would also go on through this huge, this huge, I made this huge decision, you know? So for me, asking wasn't a part of the equation. I was telling everybody. It took a really long time for the, so you start out and you do have success. People know you're, you're 
you're respected. Your work is respected. I guess in it's certain I mean, quarters. It started to be, you know, I mean, like right around 17, 18, when I dropped that first record, yeah. it got a little, it was a, it was a real release. It was on vinyl. It was like a big thing for me. I thought I was famous at that point, you know, um, it got a little run. It got a little love up stretching. Bob started playing the record that, that kind of like started my ends to really being a part of the, of the music scene. Yeah. Right. Of the whole producing records and being talked about as somebody who, matters but i'm 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 really interested in like um could you just talk about how the path of your career went up until you made cancer and rap music then like because it seems to me while you weren't out in the wilderness you weren't at the forefront of people of the commercial of commercial no certainly not commercial i mean you know i had taken a um and I was absolutely fine with that because my whole perspective and philosophy was, well, I'm going to not, be, I'm going to be the king of the molehill. You know what I mean? I'm going to, I'm going to consolidate this scene. I'm going to turn this, this scene in which there's complete artistic freedom and where it doesn't matter as to whether or not my music appeals to a vast swath of, of, of Americans and, you know, um, and I'm going to try and figure out how to make money out of that. Um, you know, I'm going to try and figure out how to keep my career here and be killing it on that level. Um, and be at the top of that because I, I really, I really just wanted to, um, I didn't want to answer to anybody. You know, I didn't want to answer to anything. You know, I didn't even want to answer to an idea of what a song was. Um, quite honestly. And this is all just goes back to how, just how I was like, I was on, you know, at a certain point, what was, was terrifying at one point of being loosened from reality, all of a sudden became really empowering because it was like, well, now I'm not, now I'm not in this relationship anymore where I don't have the answers to questions that are being asked me because I'm not interested. Now I'm literally just doing what I'm doing on my path now. And so it, it, it kind of erases all of the doubt that you have about what you're doing. The, what I realized at a very young age was that I wanted to be in control and I wanted to um, um, make sure that the music that I was making wasn't affected by the business that I was doing, you know? So, so I had a really good career up until, you know, uh, um, the difference in between my career and I always made money and I was, and we always did really well independently. You know what I mean? Our, uh, on you, our own. You, on a you level. made money, but did you want, did you own a place? No, no, no. Of course, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm more, way more successful now than I was for years. And, 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 but I was, I was happy and I would never looking at, I was always looking at it like I was just, you were, I was you, in the grind. You had the life. It was a grind. You were in it. Well, I was happy to be working. I was happy. I, 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 there was no end in sight for me. I was like, well, I'm working towards something and I'm, and I'm, and, and it's, and I, and I didn't have to work a job. I mean, the last job that I, the, the last job that I had was when I was 18 years old. So I you were making there. enough money to like support yourself. Yeah. You had, Sort of the respect of the people you cared about, Correct. having the respect of. Yeah, and so you were making music on your own. This is important. You were making music on your own terms, for sure. And and I had built eventually, you know, as the years went by, I built the you know the record label around that idea, where it was like, all right, well, let's let's just consolidate and let's just try and make okay, your you know, own label. Yeah, we figured, hey, if we can sell a hundred thousand records, you know then we're probably good, you know? Um, we can build around that idea that we can sell a bunch of small records as, as about as high as 100, you can 100,000 total, you're saying? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For us, good. that was, oh yeah, for us, it was great, you know? For us, it was great. I mean, we used to live off of like a 12 inch, you know, right. back in the day. <laughs> you sure. live off like, you know, you sell, we used to sell like, company flow blew the fuck up on the independent scene back when it was starting. We used to sell like 30,000. For us, that it went from all you nothing to actually having some money, you know? Um, well, that's what I was going to ask, which was, 
like when so cancer comes out and it's a, a and rap music very close to each other yeah, right? yeah yeah and you did that was like i think the first moment where it it got to slightly another level right i think so you made this defining did you feel like cancer was a defining work because to me like um it was clear there was this great talent the whole time, but there's this organized unity of thought to that record mm. from the outside mm. where it feels like all this stuff you'd been thinking about the world. Mm. And, you know, when you talk about time, it seems to me like you saw you saw today back then the sort of, um, you know, all the things that were on that record. Mm. Um, you know, it seems like you understood even like, you know, the anger, desperation, even the greed that was mm. right under the surface in the world. Mm. Did you have the sense that you had done something different? Well, I mean, these records were five years in between. So, so you know, Fantastic Damage, I'll Sleep in Your Dead, and Cancer for Cure. Each one of those, there's a 15-year difference between the dude who did Fantastic Damage and the dude who did Cancer for Cure. Um, been through a lot, you know, during those. Not, not only have I, that I've been through a lot personally, but I'd also um, learned a lot. I learned a lot even about my craft, you know? So I think that Cancer for Cure as a solo project was the place where, um, my, 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 maybe where, um, I had the most, like, uh, the, the facilities at my disposal, you know, uh, most ability, most, um, most, most ability to translate what was going on in my mind to the way that I wanted it to sound in a physical object or a physical presentation. Um, do I think it's a defining record? I think it was an important record for me. I think it needed to happen. I think it was an exorcism. I think that it wrapped something up and I think that it, it, it also opened up a door for me to move forward. Um, I think that it was, the, it was those, the, the, the fantastic damage, I'll sleep in your dead and cancer for cure are kind of the Jamie Moline story in a lot of ways. And, and this is coming from a dude who never really thought that he was going to be doing solo material after company flow you know i i was psyched to be in a group i was psyched to not be talking about myself or to have someone to bounce off of but i went into this and i went into it as an art form and i got into it and i started mining you know and um these records were really reflections of who i was and what was going on in my head i think that when you hear cancer for cure um you're hearing a dude who uh, is I'm the same angry, like, the same dude who was angry and who has uh, a, there's moral outrage, but it's a lot of it is directed at myself at that point. I've had a lot of time to fuck up. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like I had yeah. a lot of time to like, when you're well, a kid, you point the finger. The person it is such an incredibly personal work. It is. It breaks. That's what transcends genre to me. And and four dollar Vic being maybe the most important song on that record. I think and thank you for using it. Because yeah, but it does. Uh, that, that, that one, it, you know, it's weird. You know, you, you almost look at these records like, and you can almost boil it down with me. For me, in my head, I can almost boil them down to like one jam. It was, it's almost like, damn, maybe I, 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 I kind of wish I didn't have to make a whole record. <laughs> you know, like I kind of feel like the album could have just been $4 Vic and, and it would have said everything that I needed to say about myself right then and there. Well, you needed the mic track on there too. Needed because, them all. You know, but I'm you, saying you needed the one, but. Yes, no, I understand that. It makes yeah. sense, and people should definitely go and, and and listen to that track. But this is what's interesting to me. We're, we're, we have to finish soon, but there's a couple of things I really want to get to. Um, one is for somebody who so was so determined not to go down anybody else else's path. Hmm. How did Mike convince you? Because like you're you were yes, you would produce stuff, and you did a track here, you would do this for people, but you had made the decision that you were not 
couldn't work for anybody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. And Mike ropes you in to producing rap music. How, um, how, like, what did you tell yourself about that, about diving into that? Yeah, I mean, especially at that point, because I had spent 10 years really working with a lot of other people and it was pretty fucking thankless. Uh, yeah, right. You didn't want to do it. And I was, and I was just like, I was in a new place where I was like, that's it. I'm looking out for number one. <laughs> you know, right. like, then, and, and then, then I met make, Mike. What I think is this defining record. And- right, right. And and then I met Mike, and I was in the middle of making that record. Right. And that was one of the – look, I wanted to fuck with Mike. I wanted to fuck with Mike. I was just hesitant to do it because I was – I needed to make this record. I had lost everything that I had owned. I was completely in the gutter. But, like, like before I got that deal to do Cancer for Cure, shout out to Matthew Johnson from Fat Possum Records for saving my life, essentially, during a time in which I didn't I, – I had lost everything. And – um that's what I was trying to ask about, but you kind of like skirted it, which was there were fallow periods in there. Oh, very much so. Very much so. But, but you, you kept going because you said you felt like you were on the way. I think it's important to know it wasn't like each step it grew, it grew, it grew. There were moments where it was fucked. Correct. Um, uh, no doubt. And I, I don't mean, I hope I didn't even. No, I want to yeah, say, I think um, it's important to note it because of where you got to. Yeah. That no. There were moments where it looked bad. Yeah. The, the first moment, the first brick wall, real brick walls that, 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 that hit me for, you know, in a decade where, were sort of the end of death jokes and all that. And, uh, it affected me in every possible way that you could think, um, including positively, but. I was on my ass, man. Right. I was I was eating egg sandwiches. So, so then you get <laughs> once to a go, day, right? Yeah, yeah. So for, for, and I hadn't been I hadn't egg been poor in a long a time. I hadn't been poor in a long time. And then you were, and then I was, and I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone. No one knew that I was as broke as I was. I didn't invite anyone over to my new, very, very teeny apartment, and um, and I didn't I didn't let anyone know because I was I I didn't want to let anyone know. I was ashamed, and I also, I, which was stupid, but at the time I was like. I was, I was experiencing hitting dirt for, 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 for the first time in a long time. Um, for the first time since I was 15 years old, I, this trajectory that I had never taken no for an answer was all of a sudden kind of coming undone and I couldn't do anything and about it. And you were in it. your 30s. And I was in my 30s and I felt, um, completely powerless to do anything about it. And then I, from the ashes, I just sort of got up and dusted myself off and went, Oh, right. I remember about being poor. It's not that bad. <laughs> you know? Right. It's not like, you know, it, it you know, I you was had like, a life experience. I've been here. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've been here. I like, and I've been here even as a young man. You know, um, Mike got through. You know, you know what it was, man. It, it was, it was that I, tr- I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to become a better person. I'm trying to understand the, you know, who I am, and I'm trying to listen to myself over the years and I incrementally become a, a, a better human. And one of the things that I've tried to do is tune in, not to my own desires, not to my own um, serious, uh, you know, uh, ambition, but to what, you know, in the most corny way that you could possibly phrase it, what the universe seems to be telling you is it's, there's a, there's a very big difference to someone who's listening to yourself and your blind and your ambition and someone who's tuning into what's actually happening around you. And when you start taking clues and you start taking hints from the things that are happening around you, it's this other path lights up. And, and, and I was interested in that. And I knew that that was, that was something I needed to do to save myself to be, I needed to walk out of this experience, a different person who, who says yes when he doesn't expect to say yes and who says no when maybe he previously said yes. So that's when Mike yes. shows up. Mike you're shows in up. That place. I'm in that place. And at the end of the day, it was just hilarious because I thought that I knew what I needed. I thought that I knew. I thought I finally had nailed it. Which was to like, be alone. Which is to be alone and to just focus on me. And then, and then I met, and, and you know, I just looked at it like, 
fuck it, man, let's go. Like, let's just do it. Because, because it was, he was a good person. He was a good person in my life. He was, he was genuine. And, and, and when we were in the studio, we had a blast. And, and I, I mean, you know, I love that guy. I do. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and, um, and I, I just recognized it. That's all. I just recognized it. And you decided to leap. I just said, let's go. So we, uh, there's a, so much more that we could talk about. Yeah. Um, but I, I got to ask, so because this part of the story has been told a little more. You guys come together, you mm-hmm. make the two albums, mm-hmm. you know, rap music and Cancer for Cure get made in that year. Then you make RTJ and then the thing explodes. Sure. Has, and now, I mean, you guys are super famous and super successful and wealthy men. And well, I mean, we're certainly wealthier than we were when we started this thing. Yeah. I mean, I know what festivals pay. So I know you yeah, guys yeah, are yeah. making real no, money. No, we're making money. Real money. Yeah. More than you, I mean, more than I've ever made. Correct. More than I've ever made. How do you feel like, um, in a way, lucky that it hit later? 100%. Are you kidding me? Oh my God. Yeah. Because you won't fuck it up. Yeah. I'm not going to fuck it up. Of course not. Like, and, 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 you know, (laughs) is it as good as you thought it would be to walk out and play sold out places? And big, like three nights in New York or four, four nights, four, yeah. four nights um, in New York and three nights in Boston. Like, yeah, um, it is, it is as good. It, it really is. I gotta be honest. And yeah, it's, I and it's know. not, and it's, and, and, you know, of course, man, like, you know, anybody who, anybody who hits this moment, you know, the thing is, the, the, to answer your question, I'm glad it happened now because I, A, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit less batshit insane. I mean, I spent a good chunk of my late twenties to mid thirties doing a shit ton of drugs and drinking and, and just being lost and unhappy. Um, and I'm not like that anymore, you know, and I'm not, um, I, I, I'm clearer about what's going on and I'm, and you know, um, this is not to say I'm like, I'm not like my mother. I'm not clean and sober, but I'm just saying that there was a lot of time where I think that, I wasn't even feeling what was going around on around me to the extent that I could be, you know, or I was, or I was forcefully putting myself, um, I'm, I'm, um, yeah, being, being where we're at now and experiencing this is, is, um, better than it would have been because I don't know if I would have fully appreciated it. I don't know if I would have fully understood the gravity of the gift of being able to do what I'm doing right now and the way that I'm doing it. If I hadn't had to crawl through mud and glass and, and you know, and, um, uh, on my belly for, for a couple of years before, you know, before, before the, you know, it started to get better. And, um, and I needed to go through that. I needed to have another transformation. I needed another metamorphosis. And, and I, in some ways look at my, appreciation for 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 and my joy of this whole thing as the reward if that makes sense you know um it makes total sense not the money not the not 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 the not the ambition you know none of that but the reward of being able to get up there and look around and be like you know for for a kid who was getting kicked out of school for a kid who was running around for a kid who always said that it's such a shame cuz he's so smart you know, it's such a shame that he's doing what he's doing. Right. It's such a shame that I can't blame it on some sort of, uh, you know, learning <laughs> comprehension problem. Um, it's such a shame. And, and, you know, and for all the people who, you know, for all the times that, that I did silently question at night what the fuck, what the fuck I was doing. And there weren't that many, but they were potent when yeah, they popped sure. up, you know, um, and for my friends who couldn't make it, for my friends who didn't survive, you know, um, who I um 
who I know would be um, just thrilled, you know, just, just thrilled. And so I, I'm glad that I have had lived my life and now, and, and I'm, and that this is happening to me now. And, um, and I, I don't want to squander it, but you know, if, even if, even if tomorrow this shit, you know, kind of went away, um, it's been, it's been pretty incredible. It's not man. going away because you guys together, it's a joy. I mean, the, the, this has all been heavy, but uh, if people haven't gone and seen art, you know, uh, RTJ together perform, it is a joyous, rapturous experience. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, it's uh, a show unlike any other that's out there now. So, uh, and that's why people keep coming back. And the music, you know, the music you guys make together is, um, uh, you know, really is the sum, and it's greater than just the sum of the of the, the parts. I agree. Uh, have you gone back and spoken at Saint Anne's? No, no you got to do it, man. I don't know, man. I you got to go. Uh, you got to go I, and I, I, tell your I've story. I've never been to a high school. I don't have. I've never been to a high school reunion. I never even graduated high school. Do I've they never know? Been do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're sure. Does yeah, that print? Like, sure. do you know? Like, does that principal know that? Jamie Moline ended up becoming LP. I think so. I hope so. I think so. And I hope she's not taking anyone's hat. I mean, you know, hey, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't. I actually don't hold any ill will. You know, it's one of the. It's just one. You know, well, I know you got to go, but the, you know, the butterfly effect is real. You know, and, and it's like if if that if that moment hadn't happened, then nothing in my life would be the same. You know, you cannot be mad at at a moment. You know that that defined you. Even if it felt, um, unjust or wrong or whatever at the time. I mean, come on, whatever. It wasn't, that wasn't a big deal, you know? So I didn't get, so I got kicked out of a school that I didn't want to go to. Ultimately, that led me to my record career and to me having the greatest, you know, joy of my life. Uh, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it too. All right. You yeah. can find now, uh, we didn't talk Berenstain Bears, but, uh, you can find Jamie. And if you have, uh, any kind of conspiracy theory about, um, like sort of, uh, time dimensions and mm. about alternate realities mm. he's interested to hear it if you have proof that the Berenstain Bears were named Steen we only want physical we need physical, physical proof, proof that they were the Berenstain yeah. Bears yeah, yeah. Um, find Jamie on, on Twitter he's the real LP um, at Brian Koppelman thanks for listening uh, we'll see you next time